invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. We'll be reading from Mark chapter 4, verses 23 through uh, 29. Mark chapter 4, uh, verses 23 uh, through 29. This is the uh, living and abiding uh, Word of God. Mark 4, 23, as Jesus says, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. From the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and The seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, and then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for his help. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you that we could just uh, sing together of our uh, common desire here this morning that we would have more love to the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. And so we know, Lord, that you work that love uh, for the Savior in us uh, by your word and spirit. And so we pray that even this day, as we attend upon the means of grace, uh, Lord, we would grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Every job uh, has its challenges, but some jobs are more, more challenging than others. This advertisement for a job in Piles Grove appeared late last year, and uh, this was listed under qualifications for this job. This is an ex- see if you would like to do this job. This is an extremely labor-intensive field position. And the successful applicant should expect to spend 100% of their time working outdoors. Must be able to lift and carry up to 50 pounds over various terrain. Work in all weather conditions. Encounters with poison ivy. Stinging and biting insects. Ticks. Venomous snakes. And other hazardous conditions common to the forests of the area are possible. All necessary tools will be provided. Uh, The primary focus of this position is to aid in the planting of thousands of seedlings at a wetland restoration site in New Jersey. Uh, That's that's qualifications if you want to be a tree planter, uh, a seed planter. It's a tough job. I don't know if I, you know, you read those qualifications, I don't know if I uh, would be drawn to that. Um, Working in the field. Now, the Lord Jesus, of course, Savior and King, loved to use stories of the field, trees, uh, seeds, soil, uh, sower, to describe life in the kingdom of God. Mark 4, we have been looking at parables of the kingdom. The Lord Jesus is uh, teaching us of what life in the kingdom is all about. We've already seen the teaching about the word of the kingdom, which is scattered promiscuously everywhere. Uh, but finds uh, four different kinds of hearers 
and uh, only one kind of here does that, does that seed of the Word of God go down deep into their heart and produce a great harvest of fruit. We've also heard about the secret of the kingdom, uh, that for Jesus' disciples, for his people, uh, it's as if the Holy Spirit uh, whispers in our ears, this, this is what these parables are all about. Jesus is the King. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is Lord. Go to him, love him, serve him, uh, worship him. He's the king. This is the secret of the kingdom known to disciples. But then last time we saw too in the, in the, in the story of the, or the metaphor of the basket, the lamp being hidden, that this secret of the kingdom is meant by believers uh, to be an open secret. We're to publish this to others. This is what we know. Jesus is the king. His kingdom has come. Things have changed. There's a savior who comes with compassion and love and authority. He saved me. Let me tell you uh, what he has done for my soul. And it's an open secret that we share with our children, with our neighbors, church members, whoever the Lord brings upon our path. This passage uh, in Mark 4 also gives us a picture of what life is like in the kingdom. Uh, That is life under the reign and rule of King Jesus, who comes to set us free. Uh, What we see in this passage is that kingdom life uh, is characterized by both uh, diligence and patience. Diligence and patience in the life of the kingdom. Verses 23 to 25. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said, that's Jesus, he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has uh, will be taken away. How important really is this teaching of Jesus? Well, you'll notice that here in Mark 4, he's been concerned with our ears a couple times. Verse 23, of course, he says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. He already said that back in verse 9 when he first gave the parable. He who has ears to hear, uh, let him hear. And then, of course, in verse 24, he says to them, pay attention to what you hear. How important really is this teaching? That we get in the gospel and here in Mark 4 from the lips of Jesus. Well, Jesus says, pay attention to what you hear. That is, be diligent, not neglectful uh, of what you of what you hear. Uh, Later in the scripture, uh, we hear from James a lot about the importance of actually hearing uh, the word of God as well. James 1.22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is, here's how you know, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. (laughs) But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. And then then the Bible says this, he will be blessed in his doing. That's ridiculous, isn't it? You look yourself in the mirror on a Sunday morning, you walk away, you have no idea what you look like. Don't be that kind of hearer, uh, James says. Hear, uh, true hearing, acts. And so Jesus says, pay attention, be ever watchful and meditate on my words. Because he says, with the measure you use, uh, it will be measured to you. Now, what does that mean? 
Well, the measure you use simply refers to the judgment uh, you make here, the response you make here, the commitment you make here, the investment you make here. Remember, we just read last time about uh, the secret of the kingdom coming. Um, Jesus comes as the lamp. Uh, You don't take that lamp, Jesus says, and hide it under your bed, tuck it away in a closet, put it down in the basement, push it down into the very corners of your life, um, where, uh, you know, stick it somewhere where it can't barely breathe or get oxygen and things like that, uh, where it will never see the light of day. You don't do that with a lamp. And if you do that, uh, it will simply be, it will be taken away. That's not what it's for. On the other hand, uh, if, you, uh, if you put that lamp on its stand, if you fully embrace that lamp and that light, uh, if you fully embrace the call of the gospel, the word of the kingdom, uh, the secret of the kingdom revealed in the person and work of Jesus to be made manifest in your life, if you em- embrace that, commit to that, invest in that, uh, respond to that, um, uh, still more will be added to you as you give yourself to that truth. James Alexander, a uh, Theologian at Princeton Seminary in the 19th century has a wonderful comment on this about what, what does this mean? The measure you use will be measured to you. He says this, The essential meaning is that giving and receiving are reciprocal, like action and reaction as a law of physics. The specific application here is that he who would receive instruction from Jesus must give something in return, to wit, intelligent Attention, a desire to be instructed, and a proper use of already. Says Alexander, Jesus is really saying here, I will treat you as learners just as you treat me as your instructor. Our Lord, says Alexander, exhorts them to attend to what he says and lays it down as the foundation of ulterior attainments. For in this sense, too, it may be said, whoever has to him shall be given. That is, says Alexander, whoever takes, keeps, and uses what Jesus tells them now shall know still more hereafter. And the converse is true. He who has not, that is, hasn't done anything with what Jesus has revealed, even what he has, shall be taken from him. And then he he concludes this way. The only choice is between loss and and gain, advancement and recession, that there can be no stagnation or repose, that the only method of securing what we have is by improving it, the failure to do which is tantamount to losing it or throwing it away. You're either pressing in to the Lord Jesus who continues to teach us and instruct us through his word, uh, or 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 you're drawing back. There's no stagnation in your relationship to Jesus Christ. You're either pressing in, wanting to learn more from Him, or you're drawing back away from Him. Remember the, uh, the parable of the talents. Five talents, two talents, one talent. The one who had five invested. Five more. Two talents invested. Two more. One talent. I think you're a hard master. I, I buried it in the ground. Even what he has, right, is taken... Taken away. Point is, pay attention, says Jesus. Give yourself to what you hear. Not half-heartedly, not lukewarmly, uh, but wholeheartedly, and you will know a wholehearted blessing. That's what Jesus is saying. The measure you use 
And how you hear these truths of God coming to us about his kingdom, King Jesus, Lord and Savior, the measure you use will be measured to you, and more will be added to you. But if you leave it and neglect it, even what you thought you had will be gone. Now think about this. What measure are people using today uh, when it comes to the revelation of Jesus Christ and the truth of the Scripture? Well, you've heard of George Barna. He's director of research at the Cultural Research Center, Arizona Christian University. Uh, He does this full-time, taking polls of what people believe in our country. So what he writes, One of the most widely watched measures of the nation's faith is attendance at Christian churches, and that measure has dropped significantly since the pandemic in 2020. At the start of the pandemic, 39% of adults attended a Christian church service at least once a week. 2023 statistics indicate a notable decline in such attendance, dipping to 33%. Now, 6% may not seem like a, like a lot, but when you're talking about millions and millions and millions and millions of people, it's a lot. More significant, he says, however, is the rapid growth among adults who attend church services infrequently. That is, less than once a month or never. In 2020, 41% of adults attended services infrequently or not at all. By 2023, that figure rose to 56%. Some 41% to 56%. That is, the majority of the nation never or rarely in worship. Now, that's all, that's all bad. That's all talking about the world around. What about in the church? Well, this is what he says. Over the last few decades, the theological consensus among evangelicals has dramatically eroded. A survey identified a number of biblical perspectives that fail to resonate with most of the adults who attend evangelical churches. We're not hearing this anymore. For instance, he says, less than one out of three evangelical so-called Christians reject the claim that determining moral truth is up to each individual and that there are no moral absolutes. So only a third reject that. Which means, let me put it this way, 69% accept the claim that determining truth is up to each individual and there are no moral absolutes. So 70% of those who would say, yes, I believe in Jesus, don't believe there's truth. How does that affect their Christian life? Another shocking revelation, said Barna, is that only 4 out of 10 attenders of evangelical churches, that's 40%, of folks who actually go to church contend that human life is sacred. Four out of ten. Um, That fits with the finding that barely half of evangelicals, 55%, believe that having an abortion for any reason other than protecting the life of the mother or child is morally unacceptable. Let me translate. 45% of evangelicals say uh, abortion is acceptable for any reason or beyond the reason of saving the life of the mother. Two more things. Other biblical perspectives, we're not hearing other biblical perspectives rejected by most, most evangelicals include the view that the best indicator of a successful life is consistent obedience to God. So you ask a, someone who believes in Jesus, what is, what, is, what is a life pleasing to God, a successful life? Um, living in obedience to God? And uh, uh, 56% of evangelicals say, no. That living in obedience to God is not what, what, what life is all about. Huh? But this is the most important, of course. Amazingly, says Barna, barely half of evangelicals, 55%, believe that people are born as sinners and can only be rescued from the consequences of that condition by Jesus. What? 
<laughs> Let me say that again. 55% of those of this survey say, yes, I believe in Jesus. 55% of them say, I don't believe we're sinners, and I don't believe we need Jesus to save us from that sin. Whew. Well, it's a survey, so you take it for what it's worth. But after hearing that, it should not surprise you that Jesus says, if anyone has uh, ears to hear, let him hear. Pay attention, says Jesus, to what you hear. That is, be diligent. Heed the words of Jesus. Accept the words of Jesus. Repent and believe in the gospel. Be diligent and not neglectful of what you hear. Worship the Lord. Hold fast to the truth of Scripture. Teach your children God's Word. Gather with God's people. Serve Him in the church. Speak to all those whom the Lord puts in your path about the mystery of the kingdom. The King has come. Savior, Lord, in Jesus. And, says Jesus, you will find great blessing over and above what you imagine. You give yourself to these trees. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still, still more will be added to you. You know, some say, I don't get anything out of being a Christian. I don't get anything out of coming to church. That's why I don't come very often. Certainly don't come at night. And less and less coming in the morning or going at all. That's what's happening in our country. And among professing believers. Might be happening right here in our church. But could that be because you are not putting anything in? Is why you're not getting anything out. That is your heart and mind to Jesus. Could that be? Imagine if I were to set out to bake a cake for Caleb's birthday coming up here in September, and I'm going to bake Caleb a, a delicious chocolate cake. But as I, uh, as I start the process, I decide, you know what, I don't really have the time to gather all the ingredients, so I guess I think I'll just make it with flour. Uh, I'll do that. And then, of course, I can't, I, you know, I can't spend the money on electricity to run the oven, so instead of baking the cake, we're just going to eat it raw. Happy birthday. And so we all get, our, get a mouthful of flour. <coughs> the measure you use will be measured to you. Hear Jesus' promise. The measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added. Eliza Hewitt knew something about this more. This idea, oh, I, I know there's more about Jesus. There's more of his love, more of his joy, more of his peace, more of his glory that I want to know. So she wrote a hymn that went like this. More about Jesus would I know. More of his grace to others show. More of his saving fullness see. More of his love who died for me. And then she said this. More about Jesus, let me learn. More of his holy will discern. Spirit of God, my teacher be. Showing the things of Christ to me. More about Jesus in his word. Holding communion with my Lord, hearing His voice in every line, making each faithful saying, Mine. More about Jesus on His throne. Riches and glory all His own. More of His kingdom's sure increase. More of His coming. Prince of Peace. That is what is in store for those who have ears to hear. Pay attention to what they hear. The word of the kingdom, secret of the kingdom, given to his people in the person of Jesus to come to light through us is to be heard and attended to with diligence. And the more we give ourselves to him, 
and His Word, the greater the blessing we receive. And so certainly, here, there is an emphasis on our responsibility in the kingdom. Human responsibility. Take care, says Jesus, how you hear. You know, when the jailer asked Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? The answer was not, well, nothing. You can't do anything good. No, it was, uh, it was believe in the Lord Jesus. We need to respond to the gospel. We need to pay attention to how we hear. But it's also true, as we find in this passage, that we and everyone else in the world are absolutely, completely dependent on the sovereign, gracious power of God for us to be able to believe, to love Him, to serve Him with all that's in us, And this calls for trust and patience in the kingdom. Notice what the Bible says. And he said, verse 26, The kingdom of God is if a man should again scatter the seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, and then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. A couple things here about patience in the kingdom. First of all, growth in the kingdom, spiritual growth, is a mystery to man. You know, a farmer, we're told here, plants the seed and trusts the seed into the soil. And then Jesus basically describes, he just goes about his business. Now, of course, there's more to farm. I'm not a farmer, so... I know there's more than, than sleeping, uh, you know. Uh, but, but Jesus, just in simplicity, basically just sim- simply saying this farmer goes about his business, sleeps, rises night and day. Meanwhile, the seed grows. Now, how that seed becomes a plant, the farmer does not know. Verse 27 goes like this. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. Uh, you could translate it this way. How? He knows not. How he knows. Now, a farmer, of course, can do a lot weeding, watering, fertilizing, but he can't cause the seed to sprout and grow. He must wait patiently and trust that the seed will grow. It actually, says the seed is, is, uh, is, is sprouting and lengthening, lengthening, growing. Jesus says when it comes to the establishment and growth of the kingdom of God, the reign and rule of Jesus Christ in your heart, in your family, uh, in the world, you need to know two things. John 3, 8, of course, tells us uh, the Holy Spirit is like the wind. And uh, where that wind comes from, where it's going, you don't know. You don't know that. You don't know how the Holy Spirit Works, But you do know this, 1 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but I know this, God causes the growth. Now this shouldn't surprise us. We've got three, three ladies who are pregnant in this church. You'll see it in the bulletin. Three ladies who are pregnant in this church. Uh, life within the womb. What does the Bible say about that? Well, Psalm 139 says that the Lord God Almighty, the Creator, weaves, fashions, forms that biological life within the womb. We can't see it. But He's doing it. 
giving life and there's ears and, and eyes and hands and, and feet. And it's all, the, it's all the hidden secret work of God bringing a human to life. It's the same way in the realm of the Spirit of God. There's mystery in the womb. How does that come to be? We don't know. We can describe a lot of things. And same with life in the kingdom, spiritual life. How? We don't know. But that it happens, we do know. And we know it's a work of God. This is how Jesus describes it. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. Notice, the earth produces by itself. It's the word we get... um, it's only used twice in the New Testament. It's the word automate. From what we get, of course, auto, automatically. That is, without visible cause, without, uh, apart from human help. Uh, the only other time this word appears uh, is, in the, uh, is in the book of Acts. One time, Acts 12, uh, verses 9 and 10, when the Apostle Peter is in prison. And an angel comes. To get him out, and the Bible says this in, about Peter, and he, this Peter, went out and followed him, the angel. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city, and it opened, them, opened for them of its own accord. Oh, what a great picture that is. It's the iron gate opens, as it were, all by itself of its own accord. The seed of the Word of God implanted in the hearts of His people grows. We could say it has a will and a way of its own. Now the nature of the soil, the weather, the cultivation of the ground and plant, that's all important. But the secret of the growth, growth we find in the Bible uh, is, in the, uh, is in the seed itself. We read it already at the beginning of worship uh, this morning when it comes to how somebody is, uh, is born again. All flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is what Peter had said about that word. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. In itself. Isaiah 55, uh, 11 says the Word of God is on a mission. And when that Word goes forth, Isaiah 55 says, it accomplishes the purpose for which it is sent. Hebrews 4.12 says, the Word of God is living and active. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 uh, the Apostle Paul gives thanks to the Thessalonians because they'd received the Word as it really is, the very Word of God, which, he says, is at work in you who believe. That seed is on a mission. It's living and active. And it is at work within believers. What is the seed doing? Well, first the blade, says Jesus. That is, the first shoots out of the soil. Then the ear, the uh, covering of the grain or the corn or whatever it is, uh, some kind of covering, something that holds it. Then that comes. The Lord. You're expecting something more now. And then the full grain in the ear, says Jesus. The grain, uh, the grain itself. 
Listen to one Bible commentator. We sow the seed, God's word. The soil, namely the soul, receives it. The Holy Spirit works on the heart of the sinner, uses the seed sown, causes it to germinate and grow. This is the law and order in nature and also the law and order of grace in the kingdom of God. This single fact creates the confidence shown by Jesus in the ultimate establishment of his kingdom in spite of the obstacles which obstruct its progress. Don't ever doubt that the Lord God is at work through his word and spirit building his church and kingdom. No matter what obstacles we might see all around us. Well, when does this growth happen? Well, clearly, if you're a farmer, you know this growth happens over time. The farmer cannot determine the time of growth, but he does see the fruit of it. Now, I can honestly say that all summer long, uh, driving up and down uh, 77 from Mullica Hill to the church building here, I can honestly say I have never seen any of the crops grow. Not once. Corn, apples, peaches. I drive by, and the corn is taller than last week. Uh, flowers on trees one week that weren't there the week before. But if I just stopped by at the side of the road and uh, stared at the corn... Nothing happening. Um, I wouldn't see it grow. And yet it grows. So it is, says Jesus, with God's people. Now I could, this would be very uncomfortable for you, I know. But I could stare at you for a long time. As your pastor. Uh, But I would not see you grow spiritually. Just staring at you. But you are, if you belong to Christ. This is our our confidence. This is why we can be patient in the kingdom. We can trust. Because we don't have to adopt the here and now attitude of the world. We're sowing for eternity. This past week, the elders, we do a study every time we meet as elders. We're talking about protecting the congregation from... Uh, the wolves' teeth, that is what Satan wants to do in the life of this congregation and tearing the church apart and getting into our hearts. And one of the things we were talking about this past week was secularism. Uh, this whole idea of being preoccupied with the here and now at the expense of eternity. That is, living our Christian life as if the only thing that really mattered was what I'm doing tomorrow. And that's the most important thing in my life or in my kid's life. Rather than thinking about what matters in my life and my kids' life for eternity. And we've got to battle that. And this parable helps us because this parable says, well, we're sowing the Word of God for eternity. I mean, wouldn't it be great if you could plant a seed out in your flower garden and immediately the next day, psh, it doesn't happen that way. It doesn't happen that way in the kingdom of God. And so we sow the seed of the Word and we pray. And we sow the seed and we water the seed and we pray. And we know that in His way, in His time, He always accomplishes His purposes. And the seed planted in the good soil of the people of God 
uh, will, will grow, writes one Bible commentator. Seed is scattered year upon year. The word goes year after year. To a considerable extent, efforts seem to have been futile. You ever find that in your life? You're trying to share the gospel with somebody or family member, a child or aunt, uncle, parent, neighbor? A waste of time. It's futile. Then, of a sudden, the winds of God begin to blow upon the garden of the heart. And the word shows its power. Right, one, it had been active before, but results had not been greatly in evidence. But now men and women, old and young, educated, unlettered, rich and poor, jubilantly confess their faith, show this in their lives. The Spirit is working mightily, always in connection with the word of the gospel. The people have peace within their hearts, the assurance of salvation. They look forward to the inheritance stored up for them in heaven. The Spirit blows and these people are grateful. They realize that everything everywhere must be done to the glory of their wonderful God. They also begin to put forth every effort not only to be the means in God's hand for the conversion of others, but also to see to it that the will of God is revealed in His Word, is recognized and obeyed in every sphere. The family, the church, government, education, art, science, literature, commerce, industry. Thus the kingdom or reign of God becomes established upon the earth. That's how that works. We sow, we pray, and God causes the growth. But now imagine a farmer... Imagine a farmer looking out over his uh, barren field, wondering why there is no crop. And someone asks him, well, Mr. Farmer, uh, what did you plant? And the farmer says, I didn't plant anything. But I, I'm looking for, I'm praying for, I'm hoping for a great harvest. What would you say to that, that farmer? Um, well, the fact is, friends, we have to sow the seed, which is the Word of God in Mark 4. The fact is, today we're not sowing the seed of the Word. So how can it grow? We're not sowing it in sermons across the land, sermons that barely touch on the Scripture of God. Sometimes they don't even read the Scripture of God. They certainly don't take all of us into the Scripture of God to see what God Himself has to say, and the Word is not sown. We're not sowing it in church ministries across our land instead of offering up uh, the Word of God for folks and Bible study and prayer meetings. We're offering up fun and games and potlucks and bingos. And people come. But we're not sowing the Word. And we're not sowing in our homes and in our families often, in our nation. You know what we are sowing, though? We're sowing screens. Instead of planting the Word in my child's hand, uh, I plant a phone there. And I let them have it all day. Wouldn't it be great if, if we had children walking around, our children walking around, and, and they had the Bible in their hand all day, being sown in their life. And in their heart, and instead of mom and dad saying, kids, come on over here, I want to show you, show you this meme, or I want to show you this, this funny thing. Hey, kids, come on over here, I want to show you something from the Word of God. No, no. Oh, don't be surprised that we don't see a harvest when we're not sowing the seed of the Word of God 
which by itself, says Jesus, in the life of his people, will send up that blade, will send up that ear, and the grain will, will come. And so the last promise of Jesus, of course, in this passage is, but when the grain is ripe, when it's done its work, at once he puts in the sickle uh, because the harvest has come. The harvest will come. Writes one, the parable thus depicts the coming of the kingdom in comprehensive terms while emphasizing the sovereign initiative of God in the establishment of his rule. But the seed goes out, goes into the good soil that God's prepared of our hearts, takes root, uh, grows in his time and in his way, and one day, says Jesus, one day it will be, it will be harvest time. Now, of course, Jesus uses this uh, imagery of harvest uh, elsewhere in Scripture, namely that the, uh, the harvest uh, is plentiful, but the workers are few. That is that uh, there's a whole world out there of folks that need to hear the, the word of God, need to have that word sown into their life uh, so that there can be a harvest, so that that seed can grow in their life. Uh, but the, the harvest is plentiful. There's many folks out there, but the workers are few. And so pray the Lord of the harvest. But we need to be those workers. We are those laborers. It's not just the, uh, the Emmets, you know, going to Uganda or all our missionaries out on the field. We are those folks who are meant to sow that seed, to look with eyes all around us, folks who are lost, who need to hear the gospel, who need to hear the word of God. But, of course, there's another way to understand the harvest here, and that is the end-time harvest. That is what Jesus is talking about. The harvest comes. The end comes. Uh, this is a quote from Joel 3:13. Put in the sickle, uh, for the harvest is ripe. This is the harvest that is talked about in the, in the book of Revelation when it talks about the glory and the wonder of the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes in all his glory. The harvest time uh, will come. This is from Revelation 14, verse 14. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, seated on the cloud, one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head, a sharp sickle in his hand, and another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. And so he sat on the cloud, swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. This is the harvest that comes with the sound of the trumpet in Revelation 11, uh, 15. Here's the thing. Jesus says in Mark 4, the victory is sure. The harvest is coming. And it will arrive at the exact moment of the Lord's appointing. And not one of his sheep will be lost. And in light of these truths, yes, we are to be diligent workers in the kingdom. Pursuing Jesus more and more, using a full measure, a, a, a full uh, embracing of all that he has to teach us. And he promises us abundant riches, more of him, more of his peace, more of his love, more of his joy. And even as we're diligently pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ, we also do so in his patience that, uh, a patience that passes uh, understanding. Patience that James spoke of when he uh, alluded to the fact that we as God's people need to live patiently looking to, looking to Job himself for the patience of Job because we know uh, the Lord's coming 
is near. And we can trust that He will accomplish all His purposes. Diligence and patience in the kingdom of God, trusting in His work. Friends, this is life in the kingdom. Diligence, patience, trusting in the Lord. Jesus is King, Lord and Savior. Is this, is this you? Do you have ears to hear the Lord Jesus? He is, our, he is our instructor. Have you given your ears to Him so that you might know more of Him, to love Him more? And are you trusting that that seed of the Word of God, when it's planted in the life of His people, it will grow and it will bear fruit in His time, in His way, for His glory. May that be our confidence as well as we diligently sow that seed. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for... Uh, the grace of your word, the grace of life and health and strength and everything else that we can come to this place of worship today. Uh, Lord, to again read your word together, sing your word together, pray to you, uh, Lord, to have you do your work in us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would take uh, that word that you have planted within us and you would cause it to grow, cause it to bear great fruit in our life. Help us, Lord, to sow that seed in the lives of our children, to sow it in the, in the life of our husband and wife and Parents, all those whom you place on our path, knowing, Lord, that your seed, by your grace, will take root, that you will be glorified in your people. 